Right. Welcome to the Tuesday night Bible study. Thanks for being here. And all of you in person, thank you for being here. Find your seats, if you will. Those of you that were not here uh, last week or wondered what the heck happened with Zoom, um, we were all set up for Zoom and then the power went out in the neighborhood. Somebody hit a tree or something and a power pole. So we did the Bible study outside with headlights as lights and no Wi-Fi, no electricity. That's why no Zoom. But anyway, we're here now. We're going to study the book of Matthew, the end of chapter 9 and go into chapter 10. And we're going to pray first, as we always do. I have a long list of prayers. If you have a prayer request, you can always email me at the same email where you get the information about the Bible study, and I will add it. Or if you have a question or a comment, you can do that as well uh, via email. Uh, what else did I want to tell you? Um, occasionally, I mention that this is Oakhurst uh, Evangelical Free Church, and um, if you have the ability to give to the church, you can go to the oakhurstevfree.org website and donate there or mail a check-in or something. Anyway, thought I'd mention that. Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll study God's Word. Pray with me, if you will. Father, thank you for being here with us. The first things first, we just want to bow to you and worship you, God. We love you. We seek your will even over our own. All the glory is yours and the glory of your Son, Jesus Christ. We seek to glorify both of you here with our prayers and our praises and our study of your Word. We bring to you uh, prayer requests, God. We pray for the United States of America for protection from war and terrorism and economic collapse. But more than anything, we pray for revival in our country that your spirit would move and draw millions to a saving relationship with Jesus, those that don't have it, God. And we pray for many in our group, God, with uh, dealing with cancer to one degree or another, and we lift them all up together as one group. There's probably 22, 23 people in that category. Um, but before we do, we want to lift up Israel to you, God, in that situation with the war. We pray for the peace of Jerusalem, as your word says to do. We pray for protection for the Jewish people that this conflict could be ended quickly and uh, as civilly as possible. We pray for uh, faith for the, those people who are Jewish and don't know that their Messiah came 2,000 years ago. We pray for this to be to your glory, this entire thing somehow. We pray for uh, peace there and, uh, as I said, and wisdom for those in uh, Mr. Netanyahu and the others in uh, positions of authority. We pray for the Sunnyside Baptist Church in Tennessee, friend of mine goes there and 43 people from that church, Father, were in Jerusalem when the attacks occurred. And so we don't know their status. They were supposed to be home today. We pray for their safety um, and, uh, and that you would bring them home sa uh, safely and in one piece, Father. We pray, as I said, for many dealing with cancer and lift them all up to you as one group praying for healing for strengthening of their immune systems. We pray for wisdom for the doctors. We pray for uh, a, a tranquil and calm spirit as they go through this storm that you've allowed to occur. All we pray would be to your glory, and we pray ultimately for the great physician to heal. We think of Jeffrey in Houston, Lord, having a hard time with the, a very tough chemo. Uh, and he's not new to this, but it is very tough. And 
that the growths would shrink and that uh, he could normalize uh, again, Father. And, and of course, that you're growing his faith through this. And we pray for uh, also going through the cancer thing for Gary and Stephanie, Pastor Tim Wood and Greg. We pray for Bill in Lincoln, California. We pray for Dennis down in Gold, Lynette in San Jose, Dave in Cambria, and Rex uh, down in Gold as well. We pray for Todd and Joe McCroskey, Sherry Mulkey over in Arizona, and Jay in Minden, Nevada. We pray for Stacy and Rick and his mother, Carmen, all part of the same family dealing with cancer now. We pray for Susie in Oregon and Tim in Morgan Hill with precancerous uh, mass, uh, um, precancerous mass occurring, God, and surgery in about a month. For each one, God, we pray for your mercy and your grace and uh, that you'd give them strength in their immune systems and for total healing. We pray for many in our group who are dealing with substance abuse to one degree or another. And we think of Sandra's son, Robert, and Mary's son, Dylan, and Mike, uh, all with uh, issues with either alcohol or drugs or both in some cases. We pray that you would bring Christians around these people, take away the desire for these substances and replace it with a desire for your son, Jesus, and a relationship with him. We pray for healing and that you'd take away that desire for those substances. We pray for many um, with mind issues, either depression or needing encouragement, whatever it is. We pray for Eric and Jojo, for Aylin and Aiden, for Kristen, a member of the church here, and the sister of a member here, and two families with spiritual warfare going on, that in each case, God, you would bring a calm spirit, a sound mind, and that they'd be useful to your kingdom even more so. We pray for those families with the spiritual warfare, that there'd be harmony and forgiveness and grace in those situations, God. And we pray for uh, just a general prayers for uh, Randy uh, Mulder having his surgery tomorrow, <clears throat> and we pray for skill for the doctor and uh, and peace for Ricky, his wife, that it would all go well with no complications. Continued healing for Alan Garber and great blessing on their family. We pray for Emery, this little baby in a bubble awaiting a bone marrow donor. We pray that you would provide that to your glory, God. We pray for the Vanuatu Christians halfway around the world that watch and uh one member in particular, he's doing much better, but still has a ways to go. We pray for total healing in his body and strengthening. We pray for Pablo in Ecuador, also needs a miracle for healing, and we pray for that. And Andrew, uh, whose wife Jen is here tonight, we pray for restored vision, that you would restore the vision in the one good eye and give the doctors wisdom and make a way where there seems to be no way. We pray for Gary Milner, whose surgery... Uh, went well and we pray for total healing and now only one, not two more surgeries to go. And we're just thankful for that and that he would heal him completely. And a special uh, praise for uh, Ron and uh, Jay Root Walker's anniversary today. And I got just a beautiful email from them today and just that you would continually uh, bless them in their marriage and their family and their household and in their health, God. Thank you for Christian marriages, and uh, they're both a blessing. We pray for Chris, um, who is an atheist, and we pray that seeds that were planted and that they would grow, God, and that he would uh, be drawn close to Jesus irresistibly, even so, God. 
Thank you for hearing our prayers, Father. We pray them with great faith and thanksgiving. We ask now as we study your word that your spirit would move and that people would hear and listen and grow and that you'd let your spirit do the leading and the teaching here and uh, that it would all be to your glory and the glory of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for hearing us, Father. It's in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that we pray all these things. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 9. Matthew, chapter 9, uh, and we left off right around uh, verse 35. So the brief overview of where we are in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew is one of the 12 apostles, also known as Levi, the tax collector, the most hated man in that region for that reason. And um, Matthew is seeking to prove with his gospel and his eyewitnesses accounts, eyewitness accounts of what went on in the life of Jesus in his biography, that Jesus is the Messiah, the King of Israel. We've seen it proved by his genealogy that he's in the line of David on both sides. We've seen it proven that he had a virgin birth where God is his father, not Joseph. We've seen a forerunner named John the Baptist who testified that Jesus was uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We've seen at Jesus's baptism that the whole Trinity showed up. The Father spoke from heaven. This is my beloved son, remember? The spirit descended in the form of dove, and of course the son, Jesus, was being baptized. Then we've seen three chapters, five, six, and seven, called the Sermon on the Mount. Just incredible wisdom and uh, a highest Christian possible ethics there could be, and the need for a Savior in order to um, be able to live that life. And then in chapters uh, eight and nine, what we've been seeing is a bunch of bunched together miracles of a variety of sorts, proving that Jesus has not only authority over sickness and disease and leprosy, but even casting out of demons, even quieting storms. Nature obeys him. Demons obey him. So um, chapter 9, uh, starting in verse 35, is just sort of a summary, but right before it, uh, a man, look at verse 33, uh, 32. By the way, so I know that you're awake, say amen. amen. Okay, that was kind of weak, but we'll take it for now. Those of you on, on Zoom, say amen, so I know you're awake. I see a sign. Uh, there we go. Amen. All right. Uh, verse 32, while they were going out, a man who was demon-possessed and could not talk was brought to Jesus. We did this last week. And when the demon was driven out, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed and said, notice the two reactions, the crowd's reaction. Nothing like this has ever been seen in Israel. Look at verse 34, the opposite reaction. But the Pharisees, that's the Jewish religious leaders who hate Jesus, said, it is by the prince of demons that he drives out demons. They're saying he's demon-possessed. Um, that'll come up later in this gospel. Let's go to verse 35 now. Jesus went through, kind of a summary couple of verses. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. That was every 
disease, and sickness. The implication is there was never what happens in medical offices every day, which is can't really do anything for you, right? Jesus healed every disease and sickness. Verse 36 is the answer to the question, why? He does not come primarily as a healer or even um, as a preacher, although he is both of those things. He comes primarily to die on the cross to pay for the sins uh, of all who will believe. But here's the reason he's healing people. Verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were, uh, NIV has, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. So let's take that apart a, a little bit. Jesus is a, a, the most compassionate person that ever lived. If you want to know what God is like, the Bible says, John chapter 1, verse 14 and 18 says, the Son, Jesus, reveals the Father. Not in his totality, because God is spirit and he's immense. Jesus is God in a man's body. But if you want to know what is God like, you see the compassion of Jesus, the mercy, the patience of Jesus with his disciples. You see a little bit of what God is like. When he sees human need, he's moved, he's compassionate. So, uh, by the way, most of this takes place in Capernaum, which was uh, on, on the Sea of Galilee, their, their headquarters, Jesus's ministry's headquarters. Um, notice that he just got very unfair criticism, right? The Pharisees said, he, he's demonic. Some people in the ministry get so bruised and injured by criticism that it makes them fold up their cards and go home. Jesus continues on, doesn't care what they say. He has a mission. He's going to um, complete that mission. He ignores it. He's there to do the Father's will. So when he saw the crowds, crowds verse 36, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. That's a, a term sheep is used often in the Bible of people. And he's saying that Israel, in, in, specifically, they are like a herd of sheep with no shepherd. Human beings are pretty smart and we're pretty creative and innovative. However, God chooses to not call us dolphins, which are smart, or even monkeys, he chooses sheep. If you know anything, by the way, about 20 years ago, when this Bible study was in Corskold, we had a guy that attended for a little over a year who was a shepherd. He had flocks of sheep in Corskold. And so we would ask him, tell us about sheep. And he always said, they are so dumb. <laughs> Of all the things to pick for human beings, sheep are defenseless. Sheep are prone to wander. It's been told that there were sheep grazing on a plateau of grass where there was a cliff. And one sheep got curious and walked to the edge and walked right off and fell to his death. <laughs> right? And all the other sheep followed. It's astounding. So we're prone to follow. We are defenseless. We need 
a shepherd. This is an indictment, the fact that they're shepherdless against the religious leaders who are not shepherding them. Instead, they're putting all kinds of human requirements and traditions on them and missing the whole heart of the Old Testament and therefore the new covenant as well. So they're weary, scattered sheep without a shepherd. They're lost, unprotected. They're blind, vulnerable to attack. And uh, they're following blind guides, Jesus says it's at one point. And they're sort of starving. Keep your finger here for a second. I know it's early to do this. I want you to go to John chapter 10. While you're heading there, may I remind you, Psalm 23 is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Remember that? Of all people to be my shepherd, says David, it's God himself. A shepherd is one who directs the sheep, protects the sheep, provides for the sheep, um, feeds the sheep, and what have you. So the Jews would know the, the shepherd is Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. In John chapter 10, there it is, uh, verses 11 to 18. Um, let's see. But earlier than that, he calls himself the gate, the way in uh, and out for the sheep. But look at verse 11, John 10, verse 11. I am the good shepherd. Jesus claims to be that shepherd from Psalm 23. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, meaning somebody that's just hired doing it for the money, that's the Pharisees, is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. When the wolf attacks the flock, sorry, then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand. He cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the second time he said it hinting that the reason he's here is to die for his sheep. Verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and they, there will be one flock and one shepherd. He's talking about Gentiles, not just Jews will be believers. Um, let's see. Okay, so Jesus claims to be that missing good shepherd. No wonder he wants to heal the people, but more importantly, he wants to die for them to save them, if you will. Um, sheep without a shepherd. Yeah, verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. When you read the Bible, you'll get verses like this that sound at first glance like comes out of left field. It's unrelated to what was said or is about to be said. Nothing could be further from the truth. He's talking about the sheep being scattered and without a shepherd. This is Jesus trying to prepare the disciples for chapter 10 and you and I. You say, what are you talking about? All of a sudden, he says in verse 37 to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. What does that mean? Imagine a farm where we're growing whatever, corn, let's say, and we've got 700 acres of corn and it's ready to be picked. 
The thing about a harvest is there's a time limit on it, right? You can't say, let's pick it in the next six months. It's all going to go bad in the field. There's a time, a short window of time that's ideal for the harvest. The fields are ripe elsewhere, Jesus says. What do you mean by the fields? He means Israel, the people of Israel. That was the subject right before this. The subject after this is he's going to send his disciples out into Galilee to the towns and what have you to witness and spread the gospel and what have you. We'll talk about that in a second. So he's saying the fields are ripe for harvest. Um, The harvest is plentiful, in other words. The workers are few got a little problem. We have a shortage of workers. The obvious question here is, wait a minute, isn't he God? Yes. Can't God do anything? Yes. Why doesn't God just witness to people on his own? He chooses for his own reasons to involve flawed people like me and you to share the gospel, right? So there's a field that's ripe for harvest in your life. Somebody in your family, many people in your family, your friends, your neighbors, people you work with, people you went to high school with, whoever it may be, you're thinking of somebody right now maybe, that God wants you to be one of those workers. Don't read this and think workers, oh, I know, you mean like paid ministers, like like pastors and that kind of thing, like evangelists. No, I mean everybody. The command to all disciples at the end of the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 28 is go into all the world and preach the gospel. Some people, they get sent to, you know, Nigeria or wherever. Others are sent to their little area. Evangelize your little world around you at least. So he's trying to give them his compassion and his drive to get the word out because he's about to send them. That's why this is here in chapter 10. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Look at his tactic is so subtle. Verse 38, he's telling them, ask the Lord of the harvest, that would be God, therefore to send out workers into the harvest field. So he's telling them, pray for more people to be willing to spread the gospel. So they would probably obey and bow their heads. Lord, please send people. He's about to send them. He, in other words, when they open their eyes after praying, he's going to go in chapter 10. How about you guys? He's trying to get them um, psyched up to go to answer the prayer they just prayed. That's basically what's going on there. They don't have a shepherd. They need more workers. How rare it is, look at verse 38, for people, do you hear people pray this very often? Lord, please send more workers out into the harvest. Send more people to witness. They're about to do what's called street evangelism. Jesus goes into the synagogues in each city as a guest speaker and can speak there. Paul did the same thing. These guys, there's no record of that happening until much later. I'll show you that in chapter 10. They're going to just go on the highways and byways and talk to people about Jesus. We'll talk about that in chapter 10. But that's how chapter 9 ends. There's a harvest to be done and there aren't enough workers. God wants to involve us. The time is short. Jesus will die on the cross in a few years. Jerusalem will be overthrown and destroyed and the Jewish people scattered in about 40 years from when he's saying this. 
So that's the other time marker. For us, the time is short for two reasons. Number one, you never know when people are going to die. I'm going to witness to my neighbor one of these days, what if he passes away and you never witness to him? The other thing is you don't know when your time is up. Regardless, the time is up. The third thing is Jesus might be coming back soon, right? So this is true for them and it's true for us. He's saying, you go into the harvest. Um, Okay, chapter 10. Are you still awake? Say amen. Amen. Okay, good one. Chapter 10 is the second major discourse or sermon in the Gospel of Matthew. The first one was chapter 5, 6, 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Remember that? This is the second major one, and this is called the Mission Discourse meaning instructions for, as he's sending out his disciples two by two, what they should do and what they shouldn't do. And I got to tell you, it's shocking for a number of reasons. Let's dive in. Verse one of chapter 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him. That's the 12 apostles. Yes, that includes Judas. We'll talk about him in a minute. He called them to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits, that's demons, and to heal every disease and sickness. Did you hear that? It's astounding. Are these guys qualified? No. Kind of? No. Not at all. He's going to, have you ever heard this saying? God does not call the qualified. He qualifies the called, the ones he calls. The ones he's calling, most of these guys are uneducated, blue-collar fishermen and blue-collar other workers. The only one that's um, somewhat educated is Judas, and also, we'll get to that too, and Matthew, who's a tax collector, great at keeping records. Most of the others, none of them are qualified to heal. If he said, can I have a show of hands? How many of you have ever healed anybody before? Nobody would raise their hand. How about casting out demons? Can I see your hands? No one. They're going, who? Us? He's going to give them the ability he has. He's going to transfer it. That is unheard of in Jewish history. None of the prophets did that. Only Elijah gave his mantle or his ministry, if you will, to Elisha because Elijah was exiting the planet, if you remember. Okay, so he calls his disciples to him. The, The language here is like a military leader commanding his men, you're going out. Uh, verse one, he gives them authority to number one, drive out demons. I got to believe that they heard this and thought, what? Right. And then the first time they tried it, I got to imagine that I wouldn't be confident. I'd be like almost be gone. Did it work? Right. And then I'd be shocked that the demon leaves the guy or the gal. Wow. Right? They and literally heal every disease and sickness. Listen, his mission, as I said, is to die on the cross to heal, listen, the most important disease on planet Earth, which is sin. Right? And so this is a metaphor for that in a sense. But the healings, the casting out of demons, is all going to verify the message for the people that hear it, right? They're going to go out into small towns only in Galilee, which is the northern region where 11 of the 12 are from. I'll let you guess who's not from Galilee, the outcast. But anyway, 
11 of the 12 are from that area. Galilee is considered Hicksville. To the city Jews from Jerusalem, Galilee is like people that, you know, pick their teeth. And I got a farm up there. And I'm not going to say any state because I'll probably offend somebody. So I won't do that. I've done that before. In any case, he's sending them out with great power. Um, in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians says the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 12 says the Holy Spirit gives the gifts to whomever he pleases, but that every Christian has a spiritual gift. We'll talk about that another time. So it's going to give validity to the message, credence to the message that they are going to talk about this Messiah, uh, Jesus Christ, and what he has done. These 12 are very much normal average individuals. If I was an advisor to Jesus, I would say, don't pick these 12 nobodies. You need to pick some wealthy, powerful people and get them on your team and your cabinet. Showing that he's God, he's picking these nobodies who are going to turn the world upside down for Jesus Christ and for the kingdom. Pretty amazing. In the New Jerusalem, now we're fast forwarding to the end and end of the Bible, chapter 21 of Revelation. In the New Jerusalem, a city with uh, 12 foundations. Um, the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. They're eternally memorialized in the New Jerusalem. We'll get to which 12 are you talking about, because you surely can't mean Judas, can you? No, certainly not. Okay, verse 2. And we're going to camp here for a little while. I just want to warn you, because there's a lot here. These are the names of the 12 apostles. And depending on your translation, there may be different names there, but it's the same 12 guys. The confusing thing, I just want to warn you about this, is that many of the disciples have two names. A couple have three names. For example, Simon, Jesus names Peter, the rock. Remember, Rocky. Um, that's just an example. Okay, here are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother, Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother, John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. By the way, he's also known as Levi, making it more complicated. Uh, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So before we get into the instructions he's going to give them, let's discuss who are these guys, some of which, believe it or not, we know nothing. They don't say anything in the Gospels. We don't have any writings about them in the uh, epistles after the four Gospels uh, or nothing in the book of Acts. So let's go through each one. First of all, a uh, couple things about the list. In every list, and there are several lists of the apostles, in every list, Peter is first. In every list, Judas is last, and it's always mentioned the guy that betrayed Jesus. That's his claim to fame in a bad way, claim to infamy. Um, there are three groups of disciples, four each, and that's how they're arranged. Um, first group is Peter, James, John, and Andrew. 
That's two sets of brothers. Peter and Andrew are brothers. John and James are brothers. The four of them were in business together, fishing. No experience in evangelizing anybody. They're not really well-known scholars in, in the Old Testament in any way, shape, or form. Okay, Peter, Simon Peter, or Cephas, you also see that name. Um, there is an inner circle of the 12. The leaders are Peter, James, and John. For some reason, not Andrew. Interestingly, the first one to get called was Andrew, who then told his brother Peter, you got to come hear this guy. We think we found the Messiah. That's in the Gospel of John. So Peter's a fisherman. Peter is known for being very impulsive. You ever met somebody that just acts? They just do stuff and think about it later. As opposed to people that really analyze, should I do this or this? Let me write down the positives and the net. Peter's not that guy. If you've ever heard ready, aim, fire, have you ever heard that? Peter is ready, fire, aim. He just sticks his foot in his mouth, says stuff without thinking, um, but he's a he becomes a great leader in the early church in the book of Acts, amazingly so. Peter, not accustomed to public speaking, gives an incredible sermon in Acts chapter 2, right after they all get the Holy Spirit, Pentecost. You remember that? An incredible sermon. You say, well, he was been studying and he prepared. No. There's no notes. They didn't know this was going to happen. Peter gives that sermon. Listen, doing what I pray for every week at this Bible study, which is for the Holy Spirit to speak through me. The Holy Spirit took over and spoke through Peter in that sermon. I'm confident when I meet Peter and you do in heaven, he's going to say, it just came out. The Holy Spirit took over. I was almost a, uh, a spectator hearing myself talk. It was amazing. It was a total God thing. Okay, so uh, Peter was a fisherman in the Sea of Galilee who paid taxes to Matthew, who's also a disciple now. There's got to be some hatred there um, that they have to get over. The next one is, oh, by the way, Peter is famous for denying Jesus, right? Three times, not one slip of the tongue. And it was predicted, tonight you're going to deny me three times. What does he say? I'll never deny you. And he does. Peter is also the guy who pulls a sword on when Jesus is being arrested. Impulsive, right? But during Jesus's ministry, Jesus asks the question to his 12 disciples, who do people say that I am? You remember that? We'll get to it in Matthew, several chapters over. And they answer, some say you're John the Baptist, come back to life. Some think you're Elijah or Moses or one of the other prophets. And then in Greek, he says it this way. Uh, but what about you? Who do you say that I am? And no one says anything. And Peter speaks up and says, I say you're the Christ, the son of the living God. Despite all the put your foot in your mouth stuff, Jesus gives him an A plus and says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. You didn't think it out up here or even here, but my father has revealed this to you, right? The very next thing that happens that's mind-blowing to me is Jesus says, I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be arrested, and I'm going to go to the cross, and I'm going to die. 
And Peter says, never. It will never happen, Jesus. And Jesus, who just gave an A-plus to Peter, says, get behind me, Satan. What did you call him? Showing that you can get too prideful and speak out of turn. It's God's will for Jesus to die. Peter, love, you can't blame him. He loves Jesus. I don't want you to die. No way am I going to let that happen. It's going to happen. Peter's such an interesting character. He's the one about which we know the most. Um, uh, tradition has it that Peter eventually was crucified for being a believer in Jesus. And not only went to his death willingly, but said, no, don't crucify me like Jesus. Crucify me upside down. I'm not willing to die the way Jesus did. Pretty cool. The next one is James, the son of Zebedee. John and James are the sons of Zebedee. Um, let's see. Also called James the Greater meaning taller or bigger than the lesser James or older, maybe. We don't know why. Um, one of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, get, get to come in and watch him raise a little girl from the dead. They get to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration and see Jesus glowing white, remember? And they see him talk to God and all of that. The inner circle. Uh, James is the first uh, the only, only apostle whose martyrdom is recorded, even though 11 of the 12 died martyrs' deaths. This is the only one that's recorded. It's in the book of Acts chapter 12. Herod has him killed with a sword, probably beheaded. Keep in mind, if these guys are lying or made up the miracles and the resurrection, and it's time to die, all they have to say is, okay, okay, we made it up, let me go. And they would have gone. They went to their deaths saying, I know what I saw, I know what I heard, go ahead and kill me. I will never renounce Jesus as my Savior and Lord. The next one is John, brother of James, the youngest, it's thought, of the apostles. In the um, painting, The Last Supper, you ever see that? James is painted as such a young figure, he almost looks like a woman, very much baby-faced kind of thing. Kind of like me. Yeah, right. Okay. James is, John is the son of Zebedee, uh, also a fisherman, also in the inner circle. He writes the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, five books of the New Testament. He writes, probably the one that was closest to Jesus. When Jesus says, one of you is going to betray me at the Last Supper, Peter whispers to him, ask him. And he leans on Jesus's chest to ask him, meaning he's very close to him. Jesus uh, calls John the, dis the disciple I love, or the disciple whom Jesus loved. John calls himself that in the Gospel of John. Um, they, the son, uh, James and John, are usually portrayed in Christian movies about the life of Jesus. John is usually the I don't, this is a weird thing to say, but kind of the more mellow, almost a hippie. And yet, Jesus calls James and John the sons of thunder. It doesn't sound like a soft-spoken kind of guy. At one point, when there's resistance to Jesus's ministry, James is the one who says to Jesus, hey, Jesus, um, these people are opposing you. 
Do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume these evil people? What? It's kind of an amazing thing. I don't think they're mellow. They're the sons of thunder. A son of thunder is somebody that's kind of loud and, and boisterous. In any case, um, Andrew is Peter's brother, also a fisherman. He was a disciple of John the Baptist who got the message, this is the guy, and stopped following John, started following Jesus. First one, Jesus called. He told his brother, as I told you. Um, Philip, not much is known about him. He speaks a few times in the Gospel of John, a few other places. Uh, not much known about him. Bartholomew, um, also known as Nathaniel, son of Talmai, also known as. Very obscure, same thing. A lot of these guys don't say much or don't say anything in the Gospels, but they're followers. Uh, Thomas, which everybody knows as Doubting Thomas, right? Um, he's also called Didymus, which means the twin. It's thought he had a twin brother. We don't know what that means. There's even a few scholars that think he's called the twin because he looks so much like Jesus. I don't know where they get that, but uh, above my pay grade to figure it out. He's a twin in some way. Um, he's known for doubting the resurrection of Jesus. He is absent in the upper room when Jesus shows up the first time. You remember? And then he shows up, Jesus is gone, and they go, you're not going to believe this. He was here. Who? Jesus. He's dead. No, no. He rose from the dead. He was here. We ate with him. We talked with him. And he says famously, do you remember? Unless I see the holes in his hands and in his feet, and put my finger in there to really feel him. Thomas is from Missouri. Show me. Prove it to me, right? I want evidence. I'm not going to take your word for it. Unless I can put my hand in his side where that big spear went in, I will not believe. Graciously, a week later, Jesus shows up again, and this time Thomas is there. Do you remember? And Jesus says to Thomas, hey, knock yourself out. Go ahead, right? There's no record that he does it. He sees Jesus and hears him speak and says, you got to give him credit. The second greatest theological thing said about Jesus by one of the apostles, my Lord and my God. Do you remember? In Greek, it's the Lord of me and the God of me. Don't let people talk you out of that by saying, oh, he's just saying, my God. This is amazing. Listen, an Orthodox Jew would never say the name of God in that kind of a way. My God, these pizzas are so good. They would never use the name of God. He's not saying, my God, this is amazing. He's saying, you are the Lord of me and the God of me. I recognize you are God. Pretty amazing. Um, yeah, that's John 20. He won't believe, and then he ends up believing. Jesus is so gracious there. If I was Jesus, I would have went, what's your problem? Can't you believe your 11, 10 brothers here? Judas is gone. Uh, he, Jesus says after that, because you've seen me, you've believed. And then he mentions all of you. He says, but blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. That's you. I've never seen the holes in his hand. I've seen paintings. I've seen movies. I've never seen Jesus 
but we believe, don't we? Based on the evidence, based on the word of God, based on the testimony of others, based on all kinds of things. Uh, let's, okay, Matthew, Levi, Jewish name, Matthew. Matthew means gift of God. Tax collector, the most hated traitor position in all of Israel. He was in with the Romans, overcharging his Jewish brothers and sisters taxes. He would have been wealthy. He leaves that whole tax collector IRS business behind to follow Jesus. Pretty amazing. He's a great record keeper. So that's why Matthew has a ton of detail, as does Luke. James, the son of Alphaeus, He's only mentioned in the four lists. He's also called James the Less, meaning smaller, younger than the other James. We don't know why. James the Less, James the Greater. Um, Thaddeus, also called Jude, or Jude of James, or Jude's, Judah's son of James, or uh, as we said, Thaddeus. See what I mean about all the different names? It's kind of, you need a scorecard to figure it out. It's thought that in two lists, he's called Thaddeus, because the name Jude, which is short version for Judas, has such an evil connotation because of Judas Iscariot, he doesn't even want to be called that name. Judas is means praise. It's from the tribe of Judah, um, usually. Okay, uh, so not uncommon that they would go by the nickname Thaddeus or what have you. He's also called Labaeus, L-E-B-B-A-E-U-S, but it's the same guy. Again, very little known about him. Simon uh, the Zealot, um, to distinguish him, by the way, from Simon, Simon Peter. What's a zealot? The Jews were their own country until the Roman Empire came in and took over their country completely. And the Jews hated that. There were some revolutionaries, some zealots who were political revolutionaries who hated the Romans so much, they constantly wanted to find ways to overthrow the Roman government, to kill Romans whenever they got the chance. It is thought that this guy, Simon the Zealot, was an assassin. Um, in any case, uh, again, only mentioned in the lists, never speaks in the Gospels. But each of these guys, you can read Fox's Book of Martyrs and other books that talk about the church traditions about what happened to these guys. After Pentecost, Peter stays, for the most part, in Jerusalem. Many of them <clears throat> traveled very long distances to whole other areas. Thomas, it is thought, went east into India and might have gotten as far as China, Tibet, that whole region, for example. Um, okay, now we come to Judas Iscariot. What's Iscariot? We already know what Judas means. Judas means praise, like Judah. He's the only one that's not a Galilean, a hick. He's from the south, from Judah. Kerioth is a small town, uh, Judas Iscariot, from Kerioth, or Kerioth. Um, Judas is the treasurer for the apostles and Jesus. He carries the money bag of all things. Judas uh, is also a thief. John 12 talks about him being the treasurer and stealing money from the money bag. 
Some people think Judas gets a bum rap. He lost his salvation. He believed for a while. Listen, when you put all the verses, and they're in the notes, I'm not going to go through every one of these, but when you put all the verses about Judas together, I will tell you categorically, he never believed. He's there for other reasons. Where I, what I do want to show you <clears throat> is, um, obviously, he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. <clears throat> Pardon me. Do you remember that? Goes to the Jewish leaders and says, how much will you give me if I give you Jesus? They're dying to have him. He'll tell them when to get him and where. They offer him 30 pieces of silver. He eventually gets the money, <clears throat> regrets doing it, goes back to the temple, says to the Jewish leaders, I'm giving you my money back. I've betrayed innocent blood. They say, we don't want that. It's blood money. He throws the money into the temple. Do you remember? <clears throat> they don't know what to do with the money, so they use it to buy a potter's field, some potter owned a field where they would bury uh, foreigners that they didn't know who they were. I want you to turn to Zechariah 11 now. <clears throat> From Matthew, go left, about five or six books, um, maybe seven or eight books. No, I missed it. Matthew, uh, actually, no, it's not that many, is it? Uh, it's only a couple of books. <clears throat> From Malachi, go to Zechariah um, actually, it's the second book back, isn't it? Uh, yes. Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12. I'll let you get there. I told them, if you think it best, give me my pay. But if not, keep it. So they paid me 30 pieces of silver. Keep in mind, this is the Jewish Bible, the Old Testament, written several hundred years before Jesus shows up. This is a prophecy about Judas betraying Jesus. What I want you to notice is it's not vague. Here's a vague prophecy. I'm going to make a prophecy now. You ready? Some of you are going to see <clears throat> in the next 24 hours a white car. Isn't that impressive? Now, when you see a car, you'll think, maybe he's a prophet. No, that's silly. That's just a stupid prophecy. It's so general, of course, you're going to see a white car. Watch how specific this is. 30 pieces of silver. Verse 13, and the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter. What a coincidence. That's two for two, the amount of the money, which, was, by the way, was the amount for a common slave that was paid and the name of a, a, a person that was a potter. Throw it, he throws the money in the temple, to the potter. The handsome price at which they priced me, this is Jesus talking, predicting this. So I, that's Judas now, took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord, that's the temple, to the potter. Where's the money going to be thrown? In the temple, and it's going to end up somehow in the hands of a potter. They're going to buy the potter's field. You with me so far? Um, pretty amazing prophecy. Judas was uh, predicted to do this. Now I want you to go to John 6. Go to John chapter 6. We're almost, oh, we are at our two-minute break time. Well, turn to John 6, and then we're going to take our two-minute break. John chapter 6, more about Judas. Look at verse 64. It's a long <clears throat> chapter. Verse 64. 
Mm-hmm. Yet there are some of you, Jesus talking, who do not believe. For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe and who would betray him. He knew from the beginning. He's got to hang out with Judas for three and a half years knowing that this guy's going to act like my friend and he's not my friend. It's predicted in the Old Testament, Psalm 41, Psalm 55, that Jesus, the Messiah, will be betrayed by a close friend who dips bread with him. Um, let's see. Okay, now keep reading. We're in, still in John 6. Mm-hmm. Now we want verse 70 and 71. Then Jesus replied, Have I not chosen you, the twelve? That tells you that he even chose Judas. With me? Yet one of you is a what? Devil. Wow. You got to imagine the 12 heard that and looked around at each other like, what does he mean by that? He meant Judas, verse 71, the son of Simon Iscariot, who though one of the 12 was later to betray him. Let's take our two minute break, stretch our aging bodies, and make sure you say hello to one of the two people that are fairly new in this room. There's going to be a test after that. Anyway, we'll take our two minute break. Don't go far though. Two minutes is quick. Those of you on Zoom, I'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back to the Tuesday night Bible study. We're in the middle of uh, John, uh, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 10, and just got started naming the 12 apostles. What you see here is diversity. Um, They are not scholars. They're just very average guys who turn the world upside down Uh, for Jesus Christ. Within a few hundred years after Pentecost, the Roman Empire makes Christianity the official religion of the Roman Empire. This little obscure group there in Israel has, and it is now, as you know, Christianity, the largest religion in the world. Um, Let's see, what else do we want to talk about? Um, Satan prompts Judas to betray Jesus, and eventually the devil enters into him. That could not happen if he was a believer. So uh, Judas never uh, believed. Let's keep rolling. Uh, I think we talked about that. The, The disciples will, in some way, judge the world along with Christ, but so will you and I, the book of Revelation says. One other quick thing. Um, let's see, uh, these, uh, there are 12 disciples. Let's do the math here quickly. Minus Judas. So that leaves 11, right? The question is, who's the 12th apostle? In the book of Acts, the apostles get together, the 11, and they draw straws basically and pick a guy named, anybody know? Matthias. He's the 12th apostle. But in the book of Acts, you never see his name again. It doesn't mean he didn't do great things, but there are those that think the 12th apostle apostle is the apostle Paul, who was Saul and what have you. But Paul himself says, I'm not one of the 12 in Corinthians. Who knows? Um, God will work all that out, but I wanted to throw that out there. Paul is sort of the apostle to the Gentiles, so that may make him in a separate category. Um, 
Okay. Uh, are you still awake? Say amen. amen. Okay, great. And those of you on Zoom, you doing okay? All right. So those are the 12 apostles. Um, and notice, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Judas Iscariot is the first apostle to die. He hangs himself. Um, he failed Jesus, and he hangs himself. What's your point, Joe? Peter denied Jesus three times. He failed Jesus, and he repented. Judas hanged himself. There are two accounts of Judas's death. One says he hanged himself. The other says he fell headlong and landed down a cliff and his guts burst open. I know that's gross. It's what the Bible says. Don't blame me. Is that a contradiction? I don't think so. I think he hung himself on a big branch of a tree over a cliff. The branch broke or the rope broke. Maybe he wasn't good at tying knots. He fell. Both are true. Hanged himself, split open. Um, let's see. Now let's get into the instructions, shall we? Verse 5, these 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. This is a command from Jesus. He's sending them out militarily almost with that word, sent out. Interesting first instruction, do not go among the Gentiles or any town of the Samaritans. What's a Gentile? A non-Jew. Everybody except Jews are Gentiles. Most of you, I'm going to guess, are Gentiles, as I am, a believer in Jesus. Isn't that interesting? He says, don't go to the Gentiles. Later on, he will tell them to go to the Gentiles and to everybody in the world that they can reach. But for now, the principle is, I am the Jewish Messiah. You send the message first to the Jew then the Greek. That's in Romans chapter 1. Paul, when he was going from town to town planting churches, that was his mode of operation. Come into a new town, where's the synagogue? Fourth Street. You go to the Fourth Street synagogue and meet with the Jews there. Jesus is the Messiah. Here's why. Let me show you. And they would usually boot him out of there, and then he would go to the Gentiles. So Jesus this time is going to tell him, I just want you to go to the Jews. Don't go among the Gentiles or any town of the Samaritans. Second group, who were they? Samaritans were hated by Jews. The Samaritans hated the Jews. Samaritans were half-breeds. Jews were supposed to marry only a Jewish woman. A Jewish woman would marry only a Jewish man. The Samaritans interbred with pagans. They believed in the Old Testament still, kind of, but they only believed in the first five books of the Old Testament, the, uh, the Pentateuch. So um, he's saying, don't go to them. Keep in mind, John 4, he meets a woman uh, uh, at the well. He talks about Samaritans in a positive way in the Gospels. But for now, their instructions are, surprisingly, don't go to the Gentiles. Verse 6, go rather to the lost Sheep, there's that word again, of Israel. What did he just say in chapter 9? I see that Israel as a field that's ripe. We need more harvesters. Now he's telling them, that's you, folks. That's why I had you pray. You're the answer to that prayer. You're going to go. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. Because he is, John 10, we, I showed you, the good shepherd. That's who you go to. Just 
the Jews. You might ask, well, wait, who are the lost sheep of Israel? Okay, in a sense, every single Jew. None of them are saved. They're all lost. But he might mean like Matthew 5, blessed are the poor in spirit. The lost sheep of Israel might be the ones who are lost who know they're lost. Uh, as opposed to the Pharisees who think that I'm not lost, they won't hear the message. In any case, he's going to go to the Jews. That's the, they're going to go to the Jews. That's the point. He's sending them out two by two for a number of reasons, by the way. It doesn't say it here. It says it elsewhere. Number of reasons. Number one, protection, right? Two people traveling together, two men traveling together. Number two, companionship. You guys get to know each other. Number three, encourage one another. Number four, if one is tempted to sin in a strange town where nobody knows me, I met a woman or I want to steal some money, the other one would go, hey, Harold, don't do it. Y'all know Harold, the apostle, right? Okay. So <laughs> he was the 13th one. Um, so only go to um, the lost sheep of Israel. Um, two by two um, is, is, makes a lot of sense. By the way, it doesn't say how long do they go? Five years? 20 years? Listen, eventually they all go the rest of their lives ministering. This is a sort of a trial run to get their feet wet in the pool of being an evangelist. The guesses range from one week to one month. That's all this is. Just go to the towns in Galilee, and they would probably have to split up. You two go north, you two go east, you, go, you guys go south, we'll go west kind of thing. Um, Jesus is going to minister as well during this time. Verse 7, as you go, proclaim this message. Oh, wait a minute. Now I've got so many notes on 5 and 6. Uh, yeah, we already talked about that. No, maybe I did cover it. Uh, yeah, we talked about sheep. Um, look at. Let's go to Hebrews very quickly. Turn to Hebrews. I want to show you one quick thing. Book of Hebrews. So if you find the book of James, take a left or... Thessalonians and all that. Take a right and go a few more books. Book of Hebrew, very, Hebrews, very quickly, chapter 2. We won't be here long. Mm -hmm. um, look at verse 3. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 3. <clears throat> if you can't find it, that's okay. I'll read it. How shall we escape if we ignore or neglect such a great salvation? Now listen. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, that's Jesus, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. That's the apostles. Watch this. Verse 4, God also testified to it, showed that it was true by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. He's saying that the miracles have the purpose of validating that the message is true. Okay, now go back to Matthew 10, if you will. Next instruction, verse 7. Now we're going to get to start to get to the meat and potatoes. Verse 7, as you go, proclaim this message. By the way, this is the message of John the Baptist, and Jesus said it as well. What's the message, Jesus? The kingdom of heaven is at hand, has come near. It's about to start. It's very close. That's what he's saying. The kingdom of heaven. Keep in mind, 
That's a very general message. You say, are they preaching the same gospel that we all believe? No. Why not? Because the gospel we believe is that Jesus is the King, Messiah, fully God, fully man, lived the perfect sinless life, died in our place, and rose from the dead. Has that occurred yet? No. Do they know that that's going to happen? No. So they're not telling the full gospel, he's going to die in a few years, watch this, and then he's going to rise from the dead. They would never believe that. They think he's going to live forever and establish God's kingdom on earth kind of thing. Um, so that's the message. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. That ought to get the people's attention. What are you talking about? Then they would clearly tell their own personal stories. I saw him raise a little girl from the dead. I saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. I saw him heal a leper and cast out demons, healed every disease. And then they would back it up by healing diseases and casting out demons and touching lepers themselves. These uneducated, normal guys are going to do amazing things by the power of God, the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Verse 8, this is a command. I can imagine their faces. Who? Us? Verse 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. We're stopping there. I'm leaving out the last phrase for a second. Can you imagine Peter, James, John, Thaddeus, whoever you want to mention? They're going, what did he say? Us? Are you coming with us? No. You're going on your own. It's a training mission for when they're going to be on their own when he's raised from the dead and ascended to heaven, and it's just them. This is a trial run, isn't it? Okay, so they're going to heal the sick. They're going to raise the dead. They would have to be educated enough to say, I heal you in the name of the Lord Jesus, Louise or Harold or whoever, right? They can't take the credit for it because that's going to get the focus on Nathaniel or Philip or Andrew and not Jesus, which is what this is all about. The kingdom of heaven is at hand means there's a king and that's Jesus. It's not me. I think when they were healing people, raising the dead, healing lepers, casting out demons, they would have to constantly remind people, oh, thank you so much. No, no, it's not me. This is the power of Jesus, our Messiah, you're seeing in me. That's all it is. It's not about me. They would have to do that because you know how people are uh, with healing and all of that. Heal the sick, raise the dead. If I'm an apostle, I'm... Yes, Joe, do you have a question? How? Are you going to show us the method? And there is no method. There's no formula. There's no incantation. You sprinkle the magic dust, say if you were... You just do it in his power. It's a pretty amazing and minimalist in its the scope of the instructions. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. And then there comes this strange phrase, freely you have received, now freely give. You see that? When I became a Christian and got serious about Christianity, 1979, that verse really spoke to me. Freely you have received, freely give. Now, I understand now, many years later, that the way I understood it is not the way he meant it. I understood it in a different way, meaning I've been given gifts, I need to give it away. 
I've been given money. I need to be generous with that. I've, I've been given time on this earth and good health so far. Thank God. I need to use who and what I am for the kingdom of God. What he means by it is this. Freely you have received. Received what? These gifts, the ability to raise the dead, heal the sick, cleanse lepers, drive out demons. You've received these gifts free. Meaning, it's not if you call now for $49.95, you too, then it wouldn't be free, right? Or let's say it was $75,000, send in your money to post office box, blah, 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 in Oakhurst, and I'll give you the ability to heal disease. 75 grand, if you paid your 75 grand, you would think, I need to get my investment back, right? So I need to start, listen, charging for healing. Leprosy, five grand. Common cold, 250 bucks. That should do it, right? Paralysis, 10 grand. He's saying, you've received these gifts freely. You've received the knowledge from me. You've received the ability to do these things freely. Now, freely give it away. How much would you charge for my son's got leprosy and my daughter's possessed by a demon? It's free because the gospel is free. It's a free gift. We're saved by grace. You can't buy your way in. The temptation would be great if anybody's greedy in those 12 with regard to money. I'm going to show you that the instruction Jesus gives is going to make the temptation a thousand times worse because he's going to tell them, by the way, don't bring any money. Don't even bring a change of clothes. What? How long are we going for? Two weeks. No change of clothes? Don't bring any money? No. Rely on God completely. Freely you have received, freely give. Don't you dare charge for the gospel. I hate, strong word I know, to watch evangelists on TV and radio say, if you give $1,000 to this ministry, God will give you a hundredfold back. I hate that. I think that's almost the worst thing you can do is prostitute the gospel. You give a bunch of money and God will give you. That's not how it works, folks. Does God bless those who give? Yes, but that's not the reason or the motive that we give. We give out of gratitude for somebody that gave us everything we have and the greatest gift we have, Christianity, salvation. Okay. Sorry for using the word hate. I bet I'll get letters for that. <laughs> freely you have received, freely give. Verse 9, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. You know, you got to make provisions when you go on a trip. You got to have some money in your wallet in case something unforeseen happens. If we're not going to get paid, no. Don't take any money I want you to go with an empty wallet, leave your credit cards at home, he says. Yes, the debit card, Peter, that too. Leave it all at home. Can I bring my cell phone? No, no gold, no silver, no copper. Don't take it with you in your belts. No bag, verse 10, for the journey or extra shirt or sandals. That's Americanized. It's tunic and all that kind of language or a staff. Don't bring anything extra. Well, then we're going to be at the mercy of, yes, you're going to be at the mercy of God. 
who will provide for your needs. This is going to be a faith builder. Don't take any money. Don't charge for your services. But you'll see in a second, people can make donations. People can let you stay in their home and feed you, which is right for somebody ministering in the gospel, but not to excess. We'll get to that in a second. No gold, no silver, no copper, no don't, in your belt. Don't bring a bag, extra shirt, sandals, staff. The worker is worthy or worth his keep. In other words, that's a, that's a principle in the Bible that those who do ministry are entitled to be compensated if they have needs. Not greeds, not, you know, house on the ocean with two Mercedes in the garage and an air-conditioned doghouse. Who was the guy in the 80s that had the air-conditioned? Jim Baker, one of those guys, right? Wasn't it him? Air-conditioned doghouse. My dog's going, why don't I have? Anyway, uh, the worker is worth his keep. It's okay to take donations within reason. How much should I give you? You raised my daughter from the dead. Don't say this much. <clears throat> free will giving, whatever they want to give. Freely you have received, freely give. Verse 11, whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house the whole time until you leave. What do you mean by a worthy person? I mean, you could ask around, you start preaching the gospel, you see, oh, I, these two sisters obviously have know about Jesus, they've heard about him, or they saw a miracle he did, or they heard the Sermon on the Mount, or whatever it may be. Maybe they were one of the people that got fed by the bread and the fish. Stay with them. Uh, that's wor what worthy means, people that believe. that He might have to ask who in town, you know, kind of thing. Why does it say stay there till you leave? Here's why. Because if you're one of the apostles and you're traveling and you stay at house A with Bill and Cindy, the couple who invited you to stay, and you're going to be there four days, but you find out that John over here has a much nicer, bigger house with a pool and better air conditioning. No offense to Bill and Cindy over here. You might go, Bill and Cindy, thanks. Uh, I'm going to move on now. And then they find out, oh, no, he's still in town. He's staying with John now. John's got a nicer house. But then they find out that Jeff and Doreen have an even bigger house with a pool and a hot tub. So John's now insulted. Bill and Cindy are insulted. Just pick a house and stay there. It's not about you. Don't insult your host. Stay where you uh, are. Don't wander from house to house trying to find the best deal. And by the way, there were hot tubs then. No, I'm just kidding. Um, what'd you say? Oh, yes. Come to, no, we don't have a hot tub. Okay. Um, let's see. So they are having to have unbelievable faith. This is a faith gymnasium for these guys. No money, no change of clothes, just and no lodging set up. Keep in mind, there's no holiday inns. There's very few inns. Most of the inns were crooked or had prostitution going on. So that's why I stay with somebody. And they just have to trust God. Well, what if nobody will let us stay? Jesus probably said, believe me, 
I've made accommodations. You'll see. Somebody will be moved by the Spirit of God to say, come and stay with us and let us feed you. And do you need to wash your clothes? I have a Maytag over here. You could use that. Okay. Um, okay. Um, we're moving on, aren't we? Yes, we still have time. Verse 12. As you enter the home, Bill and Cindy offered you to stay there and feed you. As you enter the home, as you enter the home give it your greeting. That's the common Jewish greeting, shalom, peace on this household, okay? If the home is deserving, worthy, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. You say, what? What's that? You stay at Bill and Cindy's house, shalom, peace to this house, and to you, Bill, and to you, Cindy. And you stay there one night, but you start realizing they're, they're drunks. They don't really want to hear about Jesus. It's not a worthy household. You have to move on. Um, or they, you hear, they hear about Jesus and they say, oh, we have some friends that are Pharisees. That guy's possessed by the devil. We don't want you here. Get lost. All they're saying is the blessing returns to you. You say, why? Because it's a blessing for Bill and Cindy to have John the Apostle stay in his house, in their house. Do you see what I mean? The blessing returns to him and he'll bring it to Jeff and Doreen's house with the hot tub and the pool. Okay. Um, if the home's deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it's not, let your peace return to you. Verse 14, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, that's what I just was mentioning, right? Leave that home, or if it's a whole town, leave the town and shake the dust off your feet. That is a Jewish way of um, showing that I've just come through, I'm a Jew, I'm a holy Jew, I live by the rules of Judaism. They had a, a way of shaking the dust off of their bodies and their feet whenever they went through a pagan or Gentile town, indicating I want to leave all of that behind. I'm not taking any of that pagan stuff with me uh, and showing that by the dust, which is just symbolic, I'm shaking it all off. I'm cleansing myself of all that stuff. So he's predicting here that there will be places where people go get lost. We don't want this. Move on to the next town. But there will also be places where people will really hear the message and believe it. And they'll remember when they hear in three years, he died on the cross and he rose from the dead because they're going to come back through again, or Paul's going to come back or somebody else is going to, or one of the disciples that we don't even have named here is going to come through. When that happens, if you remember nothing else, remember this. When that happens, that people hear the message and some say get lost, but Jim there and, um, you know, uh, Anybody else says, we want to hear more. We believe. That is not because Andrew's a great speaker. It's not because Bartholomew really spelled it out well. It's because the Holy Spirit was preparing that guy's heart a year ago, making him guilty for his sin, realizing I need a Savior, I need the Messiah, preparing hearts. That's what it is. Okay. 
God will supply our needs. Is that true just for these guys? No, it's true for you and me. He'll supply our needs. We'll get by. We're not going to have the house on the beach probably. He'll supply our needs. It's a trust thing. It does not only apply to them. Um, yeah, we talked about that. Okay. Uh, Amos 7.17 talks about shaking the dust off of the feet uh, to get rid of any pagan or heathen influence. Um, okay, here comes an interesting verse. Verse uh, 15. Truly I tell you, some translations have verily, verily I say to you. When you see that phrase, that means, listen up, this is really important. Okay, truly I tell you, what was the context? People won't welcome you or listen to your words. Do you see that? I don't want the gospel. I don't want Jesus. Get lost. You'll encounter that when you tell your sister or your friend or from high school, right? People, it's no offense. I don't want to hear about that. Truly I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. Okay, who's Sodom and Gomorrah? Old Testament book of Genesis. Sodom and Gomorrah, that phrase has become a symbol for the most wicked place there is, right? Have you ever heard people say Hollywood? That's like Sodom and Gomorrah over there. Amsterdam, that's like Sodom and Gomorrah, man. San Francisco, that's like Sodom and Gomorrah. Some of the things, great sin is going on. Sodom and Gomorrah was an unbelievably sinful, perverted sexually place. We won't turn there, but um, there are angels that show up and hang out at Lot's house. Do you remember the story? And the men of Sodom come and, and Lot opens the door and says, can I help you? We saw those dudes. They think they're men. If you don't believe me, read, read Genesis 19 later. This is going to sound off the wall. Someone's going to think he's making this up. The, the men of Sodom come and say, we saw those guys. Send them out here so we can have sex with them. Read it yourself if you don't believe me. And Lot pleads with them, no, 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 please don't do this. I won't tell you the whole story, but I'll tell you this. The angels that are inside hear it, and they make all the men around the house completely blind to where they're now feeling for, where was the door? Was it, was it here? They're, it's a lost, sick place. Sodom and Gomorrah gets vaporized by fire and brimstone from God. He barely gets Lot and his wife out in time. His wife turns back and looks, which she was told not to, and ends up being a pillar of salt. Yes, look it up. Not pepper, salt. Anyway, uh, I couldn't resist. Um, very strange story. Okay, but what is this verse saying? People that refuse the gospel, you mean just at this time? No, I mean now. People that say, no, I don't want to hear about Jesus. No offense. Don't talk to me about him again. This verse teaches that there are degrees of punishment in hell. Oh, no, hell is hell. It's bad. 
but it's worse for some than others. This verse is saying it'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah, think how evil they were, than for those who re re refuse the one antidote to the sin problem on planet Earth, Jesus Christ. And there is only one way, one solution, it's Jesus Christ. You refuse that, there's no hope. It's worse. There are other verses that talk about degrees of punishment in hell. By the way, there are degrees of reward in heaven. Again, is hell bad regardless? Yes. Is heaven awesome regardless? Yes. But there are degrees of reward in heaven as well. Um, more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah, if you can imagine. On the day of judgment, that's when Christ returns the judgment of the world, uh, uh, Revelation 20. Um, still have a moment or two. Now let's get into some animals, shall we? See if you can count all the animals. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Say what? The first part, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. That makes sense. You're going to be defenseless. You're my sheep. Remember John 10? I'm the good shepherd. You're my sheep. I want you to know I'm sending you out among wolves. Who wins that battle usually, the wolf or the sheep? It's pretty much the wolves, right? They tear the sheep apart. Would Jesus allow that to happen? No. Would the wolves want to destroy the sheep? Yes. Will Jesus allow it to happen now? No. Eventually, it happens. They die martyrs' deaths, 11 of the 12. But not now. I'm sending you out. He's telling them it's going to be dangerous. He's about to teach, we'll talk about this next week, about all the persecution. And then he's going to take it way in the future. I'll show you next week. But wolves are irritating, coarse, annoying, dangerous, vicious. And sheep don't feel at home with them, but they're going to obey. Because sometimes wolves, or so-called wolves, hear the gospel and become sheep. Pretty amazing. Wolves, that term is used for false prophets in the Bible. Wolves in sheep's clothing. You ever heard of that? Where they dress up like a sheep. No, I'm one of you. I'm like, gee, I like Jesus. Judas was one. There are others. All right, we're going to leave it there for right now. But persecution is going to come with evangelism. We're going to see next week. Um, let's pray and then we'll get out of here, shall we? Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time we could be in your word and hear these instructions. Help us, God, to realize this is not just for these 12 guys. It's for us, too, that we're supposed to be spreading the message that the kingdom of heaven is here. Jesus has died on the cross, paid for people's sins. He offers his love and his grace in exchange for our guilt and sin. It's an unbelievable deal. Help us to Remember that we have freely received, and so we're supposed to freely give. Bless these truths, God. Give us that compassion and that drive to see the fields ripe for harvest and be willing to spread the seeds of the gospel and watch as you make them grow. Thank you for this time. We love you, God. We praise you in the meantime, uh, before your son comes home, and we hope he comes here soon. Use us for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for being here, those of you on Zoom. Those of you that are here, make sure you say hello to someone you don't know. There's Jim and John.
I'll let you figure out who they are. Anyway, have a great night. God bless you.